听，鸟儿的欢鸣，溪水的婉转。听，爱与恨，悲与喜，苦与乐，得与失。听，跳跃的文字，灵动的声音。You're listening to more to read. 欢迎收听轻松调频美文阅读 ，more to read。我是沈听。让我们在这里一起听美文、学英语。今天，让我们来听中国古代经典《论语》当中记述的孔子的一句话。英国浪漫派诗人约翰·济慈的一首诗歌《The Grasshopper and the Cricket》。最后，让我们来听英国作家 G.K. 切斯特顿所写的一篇文章《A Piece of Chalk》。More to read， 用文字抒发感情。用文字诉说故事，用文字穿越古今。Daily quote。子曰：“不患无畏，患所以立；不患莫己知，求为可知也。” Confucius said, "Do not worry about not having a position." But worry about establishing yourself. Do not worry about being unknown, but strive to make yourself worthy of being known. Earlier, we heard this sentence from the Iliad. It means that Confucius said, "Do not worry about not having a position, but worry about establishing yourself." 不要担忧无人知道自己，要努力使自己值得被了解。《礼人篇》是《论语》的第四篇，包括二十六章，主要内容涉及到义与利的关系问题、个人的道德修养问题、孝敬父母的问题，以及君子与小人的区别。这一篇包括了儒家的若干重要范畴、原则和理论，对后世都产生过较大影响。《论语》是春秋时期思想家、教育家孔子的弟子及再传弟子记录孔子及其弟子言行而编成的语录文集，成书于战国时期。全书共20篇， 4 9 2章，以语录体为主，叙事体为辅，较为集中的体现了孔子及儒家学派的政治主张、伦理思想、道德观念、教育原则等。作品多为语录，但词约意赋。有些语句篇章形象生动，其主要特点是语言简练、近浅易懂，而用意深远，有一种雍容和顺、迂徐含蓄的风格，能在简单的对话和行动中展示人物形象。子曰：“不患无畏，患所以立。”不患莫己知，求为可知也。Confucius said, "Do not worry about not having a position, but worry about establishing yourself. Do not worry about being unknown, but strive to make yourself worthy of being known." 
Grasshopper and the Cricket, John Keats. The poetry of Earth is never dead. When all the birds are faint with the hot sun, and hide in cooling trees, a voice will run from hedge to hedge about the new mown mead. That is the grasshopper's. He takes the lead. In summer luxury, he has never done with his delights. For when tired out with fun, he rests at ease beneath some pleasant weed. The poetry of earth is ceasing never. On a lone winter evening, when the frost has wrought a silence from the stove, there shrills. The cricket's song, in warmth increasing ever, and seems to one in drowsiness half lost, the grasshoppers among some grassy hills.蜡地的诗歌从来不会死亡当所有的鸟儿因骄阳而昏晕隐藏在阴凉的林中就有一种声音在新歌的草地周围的树篱上飘荡那就是蝈蝈的乐音了他争先沉醉于盛夏的豪
并由此鼓舞人们爱自然、乐观开怀的生活。Hopper and the Cricket, John Keats. The poetry of Earth is never dead. When all the birds are faint with the hot sun, and hide in cooling trees, a voice will run from hedge to hedge about the new mown mead. That is the grasshopper's. He takes the lead. In summer luxury, he has never done with his delights. For when tired out with fun, he rests at ease beneath some pleasant weed. The poetry of earth is ceasing never. On a lone winter evening, when the frost has wrought a silence from the stove, there shrills. The cricket's song, in warmth increasing ever, and seems to one in drowsiness half lost, the grasshoppers among some grassy hills. More to read. 文字的世界，用心用心聆听。Beauty of words. 今天我要为大家选读的文章出自英国作家 G.K. 切斯特顿，文章的题目是《A Piece of Chalk》，一支粉笔。切斯特顿出生于1874年 ，1936 年去世，英国作家、文学评论家。早年他在圣保罗学校和斯莱德艺术学校求学，当过记者，于1925年起主办《新政人报》，后改名为《G.K. 周刊》。他的散文风格多样，文笔轻盈，文学批评颇获称誉。其论著《文学中的维多利亚时代》以及有关勃朗宁、狄更斯、萨克雷、乔叟的研究著作见解精当。切斯特顿创造的最著名的角色是牧师侦探布朗神父，首开以犯罪心理学方式推理案情之先河。切斯特顿也是英国文学史上少有的博学大师，他思想深邃。视野宏阔，文笔机巧，风格奇异，常于寻常琐事中发惊世之绝响，回味之余令人赞叹。那么接下来呢，我们就一起来读一篇由切斯特顿所写的文章，《A Piece of Chalk》，一支粉笔。由于时间关系，我们今天先来读这篇文章的上半部分，中文版本由彭发胜翻译，《A Piece of Chalk》。By G. K. Chesterton, 一支粉笔 G. K. Chesterton. I remember one splendid morning, all blue and silver in the summer holidays, when I reluctantly tore myself away from the task of doing nothing in particular, and put on a hat of some sort, and picked up a walking stick, and put six very bright-colored chalks in my pocket. I then went into the kitchen, which, along with the rest of the house, belonged to a very square and sensible old woman in a Sussex village, and asked the owner and occupant of the kitchen if she had any brown paper. 我记得暑假里的一个晴朗的早晨
，放眼望去，尽是一片银蓝色。当时我极不情愿地放弃了不干任何特别事情的企图，随便戴上一顶帽子，拿起手杖，把六支鲜艳的彩色粉笔装进衣袋。接着，我走进厨房，它和房子的其余部分都属于苏塞克斯一个村子里一位十分古板而聪明的老太太所有。向厨房的业主和占有者询问有没有牛皮纸。She had a great deal. In fact, she had too much, and she mistook the purpose and the rationale of the existence of brown paper. She seemed to have an idea that if a person wanted brown paper, he must be wanting to tie up parcels, which was the last thing I wanted to do. Indeed, it is a thing which I have found to be beyond my mental capacity. Hence, she dwelt very much on the varying qualities of toughness and endurance in the material. 她有很多，事实上多得不得了。她误解了牛皮纸存在的目的和基本原理。她似乎认为，一个人假如需要牛皮纸，那准是要用它打包包裹，而这恰是我最不愿意干的事。说实话，我早已发现这事超出了我的智力水平。这一来，他便大讲特讲这种纸张结实耐用的各种性能。I explained to her that I only wanted to draw pictures on it, and that I did not want them to endure in the least, and that from my point of view, therefore, it was a question not of tough consistency, but of responsive surface. A thing comparatively irrelevant in a parcel. When she understood that I wanted to draw, she offered to overwhelm me with notepaper, apparently supposing that I did my notes and correspondence on old brown paper wrappers from motives of economy. 我向她解释，我只是要在纸上作画，一点儿也不需要它耐用。因此，从我的观点来看，不是结实耐用的问题。而是表面能否写画的问题，而这点相对包裹来说其实无关紧要。他理解了我要绘画之后，便建议我使用信纸，这一下可叫我深感为难了。显然，他以为我用旧牛皮纸做笔记和写信是出于节俭的动机。I then tried to explain the rather delicate logical shade that I not only liked brown paper. But liked the quality of brownness in paper, just as I liked the quality of brownness in October woods, or in beer, or in the peat streams of the north. Brown paper represents the primal twilight of the first toil of creation, and with a bright-colored chalk or two, you can pick out points of fire in it, sparks of gold, and blood red, and sea green, like the first fierce stars that sprang out of divine darkness. 于是我努力解释那颇为微妙的逻辑差别，说我不但喜欢牛皮纸，而且喜欢那种纸的褐色质地，恰如我喜欢十月间森林的那种褐色，啤酒的那种褐色，或北方充满泥炭的溪水的那种褐色。牛皮纸代表首次创造性劳动的最初曙光。你用一两支鲜艳的彩色粉笔，便可以在上面勾勒出点点火苗，金黄的、血红的和海绿的火星
，仿佛是从神圣的黑暗中蹦出的第一批闪亮的星星。All this I said in an offhand way to the old woman, and I put the brown paper in my pocket along with the chalks and possibly other things. I suppose everyone must have reflected how primeval and how poetical are the things that one carries in one's pocket. The pocket knife, for instance, the type of all human tools, the infant of the sword. Once I planned to write a book of poems entirely about the things in my pockets, but I found it would be too long, and the age of the great epics is past. 所有这些，我都以随便摆谈的方式告诉了老太太，然后把牛皮纸连同粉笔。可能还有其他东西一起放进了衣袋。我想，肯定人人都想过一个人衣袋里装的东西是多么原始，多么富于诗意吧。例如小折刀，这是人类一切工具的典型，也是利剑的婴儿时期。我曾计划写一本诗集，描述我衣袋里的东西，可是我发现篇幅可能太长，而伟大史诗的时代。With my stick and my knife, my chalks and my brown paper, I went out onto the great downs. I crawled across those colossal contours that express the best quality of England, because they are at the same time soft and strong. The smoothness of them has the same meaning as the smoothness of great cart horses, or the smoothness of the beech tree. It declares in the teeth of our timid and cruel theories that the mighty are merciful. 带着手杖、小刀、粉笔和牛皮纸，我出门来到一片广阔的丘陵地。我爬过那些高低起伏的巨大丘陵，它们表现出英国的最优秀气质，因为它们柔软又坚强。它们的平滑跟大马车的平滑。或山毛榉树干的平滑具有同样的意义。它说明，尽管我们有那些怯懦和残酷的理论，但强者仍然慈悲为怀。As my eyes swept the landscape, the landscape was as kindly as any of its cottages, but for power, it was like an earthquake. The villages in the immense valley were safe, one could see, for centuries. Yet the lifting of the whole land was like the lifting of one enormous wave to wash them all away. 我的目光扫过四周的风景，那风景跟那里的任何村舍一样都很友善，但就显示的力量来说，它又不亚于一场地震。可以看得出，多少世纪以来，那些村落在巨大山谷里安然无事，可是整个地面的抬升。却宛如掀起的巨浪，会把它们席卷而去。I crossed one swell of living turf after another, looking for a place to sit down and draw. Do not, for heaven's sake, imagine I was going to sketch from nature. I was going to draw devils and seraphim and blind old gods that men worshipped before the dawn of right, and saints in robes of angry crimson. And seas of strange green, and all the sacred or monstrous symbols that look so well in bright colors on brown paper. 我越过一片又一片绿茵茵的草坡
，想找一个地方坐下来作画。看在老天爷的份上，千万别以为我是准备临摹大自然。我准备画魔鬼和天使，画人们在正义的黎明以前所崇拜的瞎眼的古老的神，画身穿鲜艳的深红长袍的圣徒，画呈现神奇绿色的海洋。以及一切神圣或巨大的象征，他们的鲜明色彩在牛皮纸上看起来非常美妙。They are much better worth drawing than nature. Also, they are much easier to draw. When a cow came slouching by in the field next to me, a mere artist might have drawn it, but I always get drawn in the hind legs of quadrupeds. So I drew the soul of the cow. Which I saw there plainly walking before me in the sunlight, and the soul was all purple and silver, and had seven horns and the mystery that belongs to all the beasts. They are better than nature, and are easier to draw. When in the field of the farmer a cow was walking by, a scholar might have drawn it. But I can't tell 所以，我就画奶牛的灵魂。我清晰地看见阳光下，它就在我面前走着。那灵魂通体是紫色和银色的，有七只脚，并具有一切野兽都具有的神秘性。But though I could not with a crayon get the best out of the landscape, it does not follow that the landscape was not getting the best out of me. And this, I think, is the mistake that people make about the old poets who lived before Wordsworth, and were supposed not to care very much about nature, because they did not describe it much. 尽管我不能用粉笔把风景中最美的部分发掘出来，但不能因此说风景没有把我最美的部分发掘出来。而这一点，我想。正是人们对于华兹华斯以前那些老诗人产生的误解，以为他们对大自然的描写不多，就是不太关心大自然。All blue and silver in the summer holidays, when I reluctantly tore myself away from the task of doing nothing in particular, and put on a hat of some sort, and picked up a walking stick, and put six very bright-coloured chalks in my pocket, I then went into the kitchen, which, along with the rest of the house, belonged to a very square and sensible old woman in a Sussex village, and asked the owner and occupant of the kitchen. If she had any brown paper, she had a great deal. In fact, she had too much, and she mistook the purpose and the rationale of the existence of brown paper. She seemed to have an idea that if a person wanted brown paper, he must be wanting to tie up parcels, which was the last thing I wanted to do. Indeed, it is a thing which I have found to be beyond my mental capacity. Hence, she dwelt very much on the varying qualities of toughness and endurance in the material. I explained to her that I only wanted to draw pictures on it, 
and that I did not want them to endure in the least, and that from my point of view, therefore, it was a question not of tough consistency, but of responsive surface, a thing comparatively irrelevant in a parcel. When she understood that I wanted to jaw, she offered to overwhelm me with notepaper, apparently supposing that I did my notes and correspondence on old brown paper wrappers from motives of economy. I then tried to explain the rather delicate logical shade, that I not only liked brown paper, but liked the quality of brownness in paper, just as I liked the quality of brownness in October woods, or in beer, or in the peat streams of the north. Brown paper represents the primal twilight of the first toil of creation, and with a bright-colored chalk or two, you can pick out points of fire in it, sparks of gold, and blood red, and sea green, like the first fierce stars that sprang out of divine darkness. All this I said in an offhand way to the old woman, and I put the brown paper in my pocket along with the chalks and possibly other things. I suppose every one must have reflected how primeval and how poetical are the things that one carries in one's pocket: the pocket knife, for instance, the type of all human tools, the infant of the sword. Once I planned to write a book of poems entirely about the things in my pockets, but I found it would be too long, and the age of the great epics is past. With my stick and my knife, my chalks and my brown paper, I went out onto the great downs. I crawled across those colossal contours that express the best quality of England, because they are at the same time soft and strong. The smoothness of them has the same meaning as the smoothness of great cart horses, or the smoothness of the beech tree. It declares in the teeth of our timid and cruel theories that the mighty are merciful. As my eyes swept the landscape, the landscape was as kindly as any of its cottages, but for power, it was like an earthquake. The villages in the immense valley were safe, one could see, for centuries. Yet the lifting of the whole land was like the lifting of one enormous wave to wash them all away. I crossed one swell of living turf after another, looking for a place to sit down and draw. Do not, for heaven's sake, imagine I was going to sketch from nature. I was going to draw devils and seraphim and blind old gods that men worshipped before the dawn of right, and saints in robes of angry crimson, and seas of strange green. And all the sacred or monstrous symbols that look so well in bright colours on brown paper—they are much better worth drawing than nature. Also, they are much easier to draw. When a cow came slouching by in the field next to me, a mere artist might have drawn it, but I always get drawn in the hind legs of quadrupeds. So I drew the soul of the cow, which I saw there plainly walking before me in the sunlight. And the soul was all purple and silver, and had seven horns and the mystery that belongs to all the beasts. But though I could not, with a crayon, get the best out of the landscape, it does not follow that the landscape was not getting the best out of me. And this, I think, is the mistake that people make about the old poets who lived before Wordsworth 
and were supposed not to care very much about nature because they did not describe it much. Today's program is over. Thank you for listening. I'm Shen Ting. We'll see you next time.